You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the show. Today, I am interviewing one of my favorite people in the world, Anne-Claire Yen-Jay-Chalk who is a CCI eating disorder recovery coach like myself and the co-founder of the Recovery Collective. This means that she is literally my right-hand woman, work wife, and one of my all-time besties. She is the brains behind our recent Recovery Collective retreat in Portugal, and she also teaches yoga to our community once a month, among so many other things. This is the second time I've had Anne Claire on the show, so if you want to hear more detail about her recovery story, please listen to episode 34. Anyway, today we discuss the age-old question, is recovery possible or not? Together we chat about our perspectives on this subject and add a little bit of nuance. Oh, and by the way, if you want more content like this, Make sure you join the Recovery Collective when we open our doors up again in September because you will see both of us in there all the time. And Anne-Claire and I have started our own YouTube channel. So please go on over to the show notes right now and hit the YouTube link and then hit subscribe so that you can be the first to watch our videos when they are published. And with that, I hope you enjoy this episode of Full and Thriving. And Claire, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. <laughs> it's so Hi. wonderful to see you. We never see each other ever. Never, ever. <laughs> <laughs> it is lovely to see you, though. Thank you for inviting me again on your podcast. Well, you're so welcome. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And for those of you who are new to the show, Anne-Claire is someone I work with nearly every day. She is my work wife, and we are co-founders of the Recovery Collective together. So I figured it was about time we had her back on the show. So Anne-Claire, yay! Oh my gosh, I'm excited to dive into our topic today. So our topic today is all about full recovery. What is it? Is it possible? What are the nuances behind the idea of full recovery? And and Claire, I'm curious before we dive into this, when you were going through recovery, did you think it was possible for yourself? So when I was going through recovery, I did not know of the concept because I was unaware. I couldn't 
ask myself the question whether or not I thought it was possible. So, wow. Okay. Were you unaware that you were sick? No, what I mean is, so I was very much aware I was not well, you know, postponed reaching out for help, all of that. Finally got some help, saw a therapist for a while, but I was never presented with the concept of, oh, there's this thing called full recovery. There's a finish line. If you do all of this journey and this work, then you'll get there and you'll be done. I was never told that that was a thing. So because I was never told, hey, there's this thing called full recovery. Well, I did the work without that end goal in mind to an extent. And I'm sure this will actually come back in some of our discussions today because that has impacted the way I saw recovery then and the way that I talk about it with clients as well. Mm, That's really interesting. I think before we move on any further, I will read our shared definition of recovery Mm -hmm. so that the audience knows kind of the definition we as coaches support and guide our clients towards. And then we can dive right back into that because I'm very intrigued. So I have the definition out. This is the Carolyn Costin definition of recovery. I'm sure those listening have heard me speak about Carolyn Costin before. She was actually a guest on this show a few months back, and she trained Anne Claire and I to be coaches. So this is kind of the shared definition we structure our coaching behind. So this definition is, drum roll. (laughs) All right. Being recovered is when the person can accept his or her natural body size and shape and no longer has a self-destructive or unnatural relationship with food or exercise. When you are recovered, food and weight take a proper perspective in your life and what you weigh is not more important than who you are. In fact, actual numbers are of little or no importance at all. When recovered, you will not compromise your health or betray your soul to look a certain way, wear a certain size, or reach a certain number on the scale. Beautiful. (laughs) Okay, so Anne Claire, you were saying you were not aware that this was kind of the goal. So what did you think recovery looked like when you were going through it yourself? So, oh, this is a layered answer. When I started recovery, I didn't start because of where I was going. As in, I didn't have a why or I didn't have a visualization of what my life could be or should be or whatnot. And interestingly enough, my therapist did not start with talking about that at all. I showed up there because I was like, listen, I've tried everything. And it only sucks more. And I need help because clearly all that I've been doing doesn't work. And I've concluded that a while back and I've tried to convince myself that I could take care of it on my own. Clearly I can't. It's only getting worse. Help me figure this out. So I was going there with the perspective of this is not great. (laughs) Please give me anything else. Because anything else different than this was going to be better, right? So my motivation was more like a kick in the butt and not something I was pulling towards. 
you know, it was something pushing me from the back. Mm. And it transformed throughout and very slowly. So, yeah, I didn't have that idea of what am I supposed to want or what should I plan or whatever was absolutely not in the picture for a long time. Mm. I completely connect with that. I don't know, visual, you just shared about being like kicked in the butt and being pushed from behind forward instead of being pulled or magnetized towards something. Mm -hmm. And I know that was kind of applicable to myself when it came to behavior change. Like I remember thinking, I don't know exactly what I'm heading towards, but I know I don't want to use these behaviors anymore. So I was running Mm -hmm. away from like just that, that was my beginning. So I totally get what you mean. Now, let me be clear. Prob's not enough to do the whole journey. Honestly, you and I know that. Carolyn always says it's good to figure out what you're leaving behind, but you also need to know what you're recovering to and doing that soul work and building that something that is worth it is at some point necessary because why are you going to do all the things that are hard without a reason why at some point it can really help move you forward not saying you have to have all the answers but that pull forward will certainly make sense at some point now whether or not you call it being recovered or not you know that wasn't the case for me and yet I got there so Mm. (laughs) you know I got stuck in quasi recovery for a while Mm. and I believe that the fact that I did not know about being fully recovered as you know, of goals, some place to get to, definitely contributed to me sort of convincing myself or letting my eating disorder convince me that this was good enough, right? Because I stayed there longer because I was blissfully, well, not so blissfully, but thoroughly unaware that there was better. And so it took me basically putting at risk my relationships, most of them, for me to be like, yeah, okay, maybe this not isn't quite it yet. <laughs> and I wish maybe to an extent that someone had said, hey, you know, this still isn't quite it and this is still hurting and this is so meh, you know, because, because actually there's better and you're nearly there and here are things that you can work on to get there. So to an extent, I'm like, ugh. Like, it would have been nice to have someone tell me about it and to be very clear about the fact that, you know, there was actually better, but hey-ho, we can't rewrite the past, so. Mm-hmm. Well, I see that all the time with my clients, and I'm sure you do too, where they get to a middle ground, so like quasi-recovery, and they're constantly comparing themselves to how much better they are when they were at their sickest, right? So they're like, well, I'm doing so much better than I used to be. So what's the point of continuing? I think I can kind of live like straddling the fence here of between like being sick and recovery. And so were you kind of in that camp at all? It sounds like you were just living there and just noticed that your relationships were at risk. Yeah. So it was not as clearly stated, you know, what happened really is that I kept some behaviors around because they were still bringing me comfort. They were still helping me cope with difficult situations and I wasn't using them as often at all. So it was much better. I was very much more functioning as a human, but I was still not being truly myself. I was still not honoring my soul. I was still not 
reprioritizing values and things that mattered in my life in a way that really honored me. And so I was still being destructive of my own life. So it wasn't as conscious, right? That choice of, well, this is good enough. So I'll stay here. It's just that once I realized that that's what I was doing, I was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. I'm letting myself believe in the illusion that this is it. And it's just that I suck at life. (laughs) It's because I can actually learn a few extra things that will make me more able to cope with life in ways that are a whole lot more empowering and healthy and balanced and all and freeing. So that's where I was at. Now, honestly, you were mentioning clients, right? Being like, yeah, you know what? This is good enough, right? (laughs) They're sort of (laughs) deciding to stay on that fence. This is typically the sort of situation where I would be like, okay, tell me all the good reasons to stay on this fence and not to let go of all of these other behaviors, right? Because usually there are fears and valid, as in like sensible, understandable, fact-based reasons, events from the past or other people that have influenced them that are informing the fact that they're on that fence, right? And Mm -hmm. as always, you know, I know that as coaches, we don't tell people what to do. We're like, okay, let's look at things together, right? Um, You're still the driver of your car. I'm just hopping in, just having a discussion here, figuring things out. And then we'll see, right? But I can always hop off and you're still driving your car. I'm not driving it. And so this is the sort of situation I'm like, okay, tell me all the good reasons to stay here. (laughs) And then usually when we do that, we start unearthing like fears or things that we haven't actually challenged enough. You know, it's like a recovery is kind of like an onion, right? You start peeling the things and then you're like, oh, there's an extra layer here. (laughs) Something was hiding behind that. Or you realize a behavior had another function that you hadn't explored yet. And so I feel like making sure that that's really heard and explored is really helpful because we have to want recovery for ourselves for it to work. No one can make you want recovery. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that was a long blabble. No, I love that. You really do have to explore the resistance when you're at that place, right? And recognize, you know, how is being here still serving you? Like what behaviors yeah. you still be leaning on? What fears are you protecting yourself from? And that's just so valuable to be able to unpack. Because that's yeah. where you root your next steps. I always tell like clients, you can't walk if your feet don't touch the floor. So you got to know where you're standing. Mm. You can't try to step forward and step and put your foot like 300 meters away from here. That's not helpful. You ain't going to (laughs) fly. Your feet need to touch the floor. So you might as well know where you're standing and then you can walk forward. Yes, I completely agree. So I wanted to kind of follow up because you mentioned when you were stuck in quasi, there was a part of you that still felt like you were betraying your soul in a way or like not connecting with your most authentic true self. Mm -hmm. So just as a reminder for everyone listening in the definition I read earlier, part of it set states when recovered, you will not compromise your health or betray your soul to look a certain way, wear a certain size or reach a certain number on the scale. So what do you think Carolyn meant when she wrote that? Well, I don't want to talk for Carolyn. So (laughs) how do you interpret it? 
<laughs> we're going to talk about how I interpret it. So actually, if you don't mind, I want to back up a little bit in that definition first, because okay. there are a few things in that definition that really mean a lot to me. And that last bit builds on top of that. Okay. So if you don't mind, I want to back up a little bit in that definition, because here are two things that I really appreciate about Carolyn's definition. And it's that she says, when you're recovered, food and weight take a proper perspective in your life. She's not saying food and weight don't matter at all. She's not saying just be fine with whatever. She's saying if food and weight are your number one priority in life, that will probably limit your life, right? It will restrict your authenticity. It will restrict your freedom to do whatever it is that you want. It doesn't let you be free. It doesn't let you put other things that matter to you first. So I've always taken that to say, well, let's explore your values, the things that matter for you in life, the things that are meaningful, the things that make you want to show up. And let's bump those up the priorities list. <laughs> you know. And then she mentions at the end of that definition, basically that we won't use eating disorder behaviors to deal with other problems, right? And that really highlights the fact that eating disorders have a function or several functions. And we got to figure those out <laughs> in one way or another, right? And that may be fixing our bodies in order to get this or that, but it's also very often this allows me to not feel that, which is a difficult feeling and I don't know how else to cope with it. So those are pieces that I find really important because here's the thing about betraying your soul. You are betraying your soul when you try to prioritize looking a certain way and wearing a certain size because you're not allowing yourself to live a life aligned with your own true core values. Mm. So you can't have both. Both can't be true at the same time because we know that if we want to prioritize a certain look and we use behaviors to get there, that's taking the space and the energy of other things that might matter. Like, I don't know what your core values are in life. Well, I do kind of know. Friends, fun, <laughs> <laughs> community, some of those, right? You can't prioritize that if you're prioritizing, you know, using behaviors to fix your body. Mm -hmm. If I want to value authenticity and deep connection and spirituality and whatnot. I can't do that if my brain is focused on fixing my body. Can't do that if I'm starving my body and my brain doesn't even work. But I'm clearly never going to be authentic if I'm dedicating so much of my life to something that literally isn't me. My body, my brain won't let me get there, right? We know that there are indicators of being in a healthy weight range, the one that our body is happy in. And those include really important things like being able to be present and to engage with people, right? And not to be distracted and, you know, feel out of control around food or have unhealthy control of food, et cetera, et cetera. So that just doesn't go together. And so that's how I've always understood her definition. And it sits really well with me, honestly. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I completely agree. I love how you connect it to that values conversation and recognizing that your soul aligns with certain true authentic values that are unique to you as a human. 
And when you're constantly using behaviors to change your body, those values are taking a backseat. So I completely see that. Now, see, the thing is, I'm also not saying that you can't care at all about your body. I'm not saying you can't ever care about the image that you're bringing to the table or, you know, to, you can't care about what you look like. You and I wear makeup every once in a while. You and I like to buy clothes that we feel good in, right? We do that because we don't want to wear a bin bag and not take a shower because it matters to us. What we're saying is we are not placing that as number one priority on our list. I want to be a decent human first. (laughs) And then if I have time to take a shower and put nice clothes, I might as well. (laughs) So this is the thing that I can imagine a lot of eating disorders screaming right now, which is I do value my appearance first. This is my core value. Like I care a lot about, and then they might kind of say, I care a lot about health and I care a lot about appearance. And I don't care if that makes me look vain or, you know, that's just who I am. What would you say to people who are really trying to, say that their values are aligned with their eating disorder? Well, if I take health, that's, you know, challengeable (laughs) because let's be real. (laughs) If you're suffering from an eating disorder, you ain't quite taking the box of healthy. Mm. You're literally suffering from an illness. The impacts of that illness are not exactly fun. That's why you're doing the work. That's why you're showing up and being like, yeah, actually these impacts, not such a big fan. Also, if there were true health and you were like, you know what? Using these behaviors, really life expanding, really great. You get so healthy by doing this and doing that. And we're talking about eating disorder behaviors. You would be telling all of your friends and all of your family to do them. And yet you don't. (laughs) So there's a big flaw in that logic. Mm -hmm. So that's for the health part. Now for the, I like to look good and I don't care if people think I'm vain. Again, I am not saying you can't want to look great. (laughs) Not at all. Absolutely not. Feel free to do whatever you want with your body. I 100% believe that we deserve to have full bodily autonomy. Mm -hmm. And if someone tells me, I am okay to do this work up until this point because after that I can't. I'm not going to try to convince them. They have the right to decide for their own body. That's it. Your body, your choice, always in my book. What I am saying and what I would be challenging gently is that those same humans usually will talk to me about other things that matter in their lives. And I'll say, hey, okay, this matters to you. I'm totally cool with you honoring that. I just want to check in with you. If you're okay to potentially sacrifice these other things that you've already shared in past sessions and that you said mattered to you, that's all. And often, I actually have a client that I have in mind right now that I'm working with currently. And we've done a lot of work already together and she's doing so, so well. And we had a similar discussion not so long ago. She was like, but I like wearing fun clothes and expressing myself through clothes and wearing makeup. And then I'm thinking, is this okay? Or am I not accepting what I look like? And then I could really see that she was really questioning, Mm -hmm. how is this supposed to translate here? And I was saying like, hey, girl, (laughs) do whatever you want. Bodily autonomy. You have the right to put more 
paint on your face or makeup on your face. You have the right to get a tattoo. You have the right to wear the clothes you want. Because doing that does not mean you're not allowing yourself to eat, to honor your body, to also do all of the other things. That's not in conflict in any sort of way. There is actually a way where you can honor all of them. It's a bouquet, you know? Just like do it all. This isn't actually a conflict in any sort of way. And so we were sort of like exploring together what it meant to be able to honor all of the parts of her in a way that is actually authentic and life expanding. Mm-hmm. And she observed herself like, oh yeah, because actually I like this part of like the makeup and the buying the clothes and whatever, and it's still available to me and it's so fine. And that's not a reason for me to try to fix my body. That's actually, there's no causation here between those two things. So I can leave the disorder at the door and continue with that thing that I really like. And that allows me to feel like I'm expressing myself and being myself. Yes. So that's a long ramble. Well, I love that example because if you're someone who values, say, presenting yourself well and looking good, you don't have to betray your soul to embrace style, embrace makeup, do all of those things. And by that, I mean, you're not using behaviors. And I find that sometimes that's really like part of the definition when they talk about betraying your soul. I remember going through recovery and feeling like whenever I used a behavior, that was when my soul felt the most betrayed because I was hurting myself. I was kind of being self-destructive. I was disrespecting my body, disrespecting myself. So really, I think the nuance there is, are you betraying your soul when you are aligning with that value of appearance or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And when you were saying that, I was thinking, you know, it's the way you and I today approach feeling good and how we look like every once in a while is rooted in the inner knowing that we are more than our body. Mm. It is not rooted in the fear of not belonging if we don't look a certain way. We're not Mm -hmm. trying to police someone else. We have already honored ourselves. We know that we are more than this. And we like to just, you know, sprinkle the cake with extra glitter. I we're the cake that. in this analogy. <laughs> but you know what um, I mean? Like, it's not because we're not saying beauty matters by definition for everyone. No, we're just saying we know we're more than a body. And then there's the body and we have it. And we can't ignore that we have it. We all have it. We might as well find ways in which we're comfortable to interact with it. Mm-hmm. That's that part. And yes. hopefully that made sense. But everyone's going to find what things will mean for them. Right. And If anything, I want to encourage people to look at this definition that you and I share, Carolyn Costin's definition, really, and to allow themselves to define what that's going to mean for them. It's a highly individualizable, what? (laughs) Definition. (laughs) You can make it your own. That's what I mean. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, and Claire, I'm going to jump around when it comes to this discussion a little. Do you think full recovery is possible for everyone. And are there any nuances to that? Yes, there are nuances to that. (laughs) So (laughs) how can I approach this? First of all, what are we talking about when 
we talk about being fully recovered. You and I are talking about this definition that we have. We're not talking about you will never, ever have a diet culture like thought. You will never, ever have a bad body image day. That's not what we're talking about. And if that happens for you, freaking awesome. I'm so happy. And it does. I do meet people who say I'm recovered and I don't ever actually think about this sort of a thing. And I'm like, great, you're rock. Awesome. So happy for you. But that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, you know, that definition. So I just want to make it extra clear that when you're asking me this, I'm taking our version of the definition, which allows a lot of flexibility. And in this version of a definition, there is space for everyone to do recovery work. Mm -hmm. By that, I mean, there is space for everyone to lessen the impact of these horrible, distressing, judgmental, harsh thoughts that our eating disorders, you know, spew around in our heads. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There is space for everyone to find some level of peace there. Will the thoughts completely disappear forever? I don't know. Can it be a whole lot better? For sure. Now, what changes is that is the link between the thought and the doing. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between thinking something and doing something. And when we suffer from an eating disorder, me thinking something meant I had to act on that, right? So my eating disorder was saying, this is bad. You are awful. Here's one way you can fix it. Fix your body. (laughs) Do this to fix your body. This link is absolutely inexistent in my head right now. There's no such thing, right? So there is that space in between the thought and the action is where I am inviting everyone to explore what recovery could look like for them. Mm -hmm. Oh, I so love that you bring up those points there, especially, first of all, I want to back it up a little and then bring it back to that. But I think a lot of people are under this impression that full recovery is this rainbows, butterflies. I'm never going to have a bad body image day. I'm never going to have a disordered thought, or I'm never going to feel terrible again. In fact, I'll be happy every single day and all of my (laughs) negative emotions will just disappear. Life's going to be a cakewalk, right? And that's not true at all. Like you're definitely going to still have your emotional ups and downs. You're going to might have some unhealthy thoughts creep in and where you're bringing it to is recognizing that connection between thinking the thought and doing the thing is out. You are essentially going through the day. And if this is what really what a lot of the maintenance phase looks like, which by the way, can last several years, having a thought and saying, heck no, I'm not going to listen to that and moving on with your day and not listening and kind of obeying whatever action you might have taken in the past. Mm Mm-hmm. And when life happens and life will happen and stuff will happen to you, I mean, that's not what I wish for anyone, but realistically, life gets hard every once in a while. You have a toolbox of skills and tools you can use to cope with things and you don't Mm -hmm. use disordered behaviors. Again, that link is severed. There's no such thing. Shit hits the fan. (laughs) I'm like, well, this isn't fun, but I for sure... I'm not thinking as a result of that observation, you know what would make it better? (laughs) Fixing my body. That's not on the menu of options. What's on my menu right now is 
How can I act in a compassionate way? How can I sit with my emotions? How can I process this hard thing that is happening? How, who can I reach out to for help? Still not the best at the reaching out <laughs> for help, but it's a work in progress. Again, like you said, life doesn't become perfect and easy and breezy and whatnot, but it's for sure a whole lot better. And you know, those bad things, whether they're events or thoughts or whatever, they're not a bomb exploding in your life, putting everything upside down. They're, you know, a party popper. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay, attention given to this event or this thing. Let me do something about this because clearly something is, you know, it's an alarm bell and the alarm goes off and you're like, okay, let me look at this thing. What's up? What can I do for myself here? And that's that. And we move on with that. I think that's a great way of thinking about it. It's no longer a bomb. It's a party popper. <laughs> party yeah, popper. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe alarm bell is a better is a better image, but you know, yeah, yeah. alarm bell creates the connection that something must be paid attention to. Yes, um, and that's the thing, right? <laughs> Thoughts and things that get difficult—they're a message, and then we look at the message, and then we figure it out whatever it is. Yes. Yeah. So true. So I do want to bring this up for our conversation today and just acknowledge this because it has come up in our community before, which is that there are individuals out there who do not believe full recovery is possible based on certain circumstances in their life, such as background. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to bring that up because I think there are people listening to this saying, well, because of my circumstances, I don't think recovery is fully possible for me. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up because this is the rest of the nuance that belongs in the answer of, is this possible for everyone? There are factors that will make recovery a whole lot harder for some. And that is an indisputable fact. And as much as we come here with our lived experience, you and I, we, went, we suffered from our own eating disorder, we've clawed our way back, and you and I call ourselves recovered. Cool. That's valid. There are other people with lived experience who don't describe themselves as that. And their lived experience is as valid as ours. And they bring our attention to really important things in terms of what impacts people's recovery. We can't pretend like privilege doesn't impact your chances of recovery. We can't pretend like money, where you live, your race, your body size, all of your other co-occurring illnesses or diagnoses. All of these things make recovery a whole lot harder and maybe it does make it less possible or impossible for some. I don't know. At the same time, I can only honor what others are sharing. Yet at the same time, those are also the people who say, oh, it's so worth it getting better, <laughs> you know? So mm -hmm. This is where I'm not sure it's always helpful to fight over whether or not full recovery is possible or impossible. What I want to 
bring up and bring forward is that there is a space in which you can get better, right? Say mm-hmm. you do have other things that make your recovery harder. Let's find, you know, that little space that you do have in which we can help you get somewhat better because that somewhat better is worth it. And these other people with lived experience that you and I have had the chance to talk to and have been lucky enough to learn from, they share that it's still worth it. They share that being where they're at today is still better than where they were when their eating disorder was really bad. And so why would we not bring that for people as an opportunity? And is it really worth it saying, well, because full recovery is not possible, then it's not worth it. I don't believe that's, that's what they're saying. They're simply saying, well, please don't define my experience for me. And that's fair. And they're saying, well, yeah, maybe there are good reasons for this to be impossible. Yeah, sure. Okay. And I, I'm so accepting of that. And I want them to be heard and to be around the table because that's probably extremely validating for some people that have a whole lot of a harder time doing this thing, right? And I'm so aware of all of my privileges. I'm a white woman. I'm privileged money-wise. I was working at the time, had a good job, had enough money to pay for my therapist out of pocket because I was so ashamed that I didn't even want to dare to go and talk to my GP about this. Like, you know, I know how incredibly lucky and privileged I was and still am. Mm -hmm. And I do want to acknowledge, and I think this is important to say, everyone gets to decide whether or not full recovery is possible for them. And if someone says, I don't think full recovery is possible for myself, don't go catastrophizing or personalizing that and saying, oh, well, if they say it's not possible for them, that means it's not possible for me. And I see that all the time. Everyone's so extremely triggered when someone says, oh, I don't think I'll ever reach full recovery. Everyone suddenly makes that about them. Do you see? I've seen yeah. That so well, that's the, the thing is, this is where I have a lot of compassion for people hearing that because if you're still in recovery, your eating disorder is going to latch on to that really bad. It's going to be like, see, see, I told you, this is not for you. See, it's not possible. Everyone's lying to you. It's probably going to try to find all the parallels between where you're at and what the person has just said. So some healthy skepticism and healthy distance with what you're hearing is always good, but that's true for anything. And honestly, these conversations, I want to encourage people to have them with their treatment teams. These are important discussions. If this is something that is getting in your way when you're in recovery, because you have an internal battle about whether or not this is even worth it, because you're not sure if it's even possible, have a discussion about it because this is a serious barrier for you to show up and do the hard things, right? How are you supposed to challenge week on week behavioral change, cognitive change, when a big part of you is thinking, well, this won't last anyway. Like You're going to run out of willingness here soon enough. So bring it up. We are trained. We're meant to be able to have these conversations in a nuanced way, hopefully maybe with everyone around the same table and the treatment team, but look at it and it's okay to be there and to feel that way and, you know, explore it. Yeah. I think that honesty is so important when it comes to interacting with your team and just making sure you share that 
you don't have to be gaslighting yourself and saying like, if you don't believe in it, you don't see the value in full recovery. You should be honest. You don't have to just fake it to your team. They want to hear the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm going to be better at helping someone if I know where they're at and where we're going. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to be disappointed or judging or refuse to work with someone if they tell me, so here's the thing, full recovery, not so sure, but I'm cool with getting here because these things I really don't like, right? These behaviors I want to stop and not can't stop or these things I want to do, but I can't do right now. This is plenty enough for us to start working together. There's already so much space, so many things to look at, so much gold to get back from life Mm -hmm. in that space that the client has already opened up, right? Because they came up willingly with this. And then the rest, we'll figure it out. One, you might stumble into full recovery without noticing it, (laughs) like some (laughs) of us have. And two... Maybe you'll get to a point and you're like, you know what? My reasons to stay here in this spot are this and they're just whatever my reality or I'm just not willing to let go of these things or I just can't because they're not a choice, right? Because to an extent, it could also be not due to a choice. Then that's cool with me. If we got you to a point place in life where you're better, awesome. Like, Mm. you know, I'm all here for it. And sometimes full recovery can feel like this huge mountain to climb and that can be very overwhelming. So moving forward to a closer distance almost and saying, okay, like that seems really overwhelming right now. Maybe I'll work towards just easing my suffering a little bit and see how I feel and see how I can motivate myself moving forward. Yeah. Then again, maybe we're comfortable with that talk because that's literally the description of our job, you know, as coaches to look at the goals and be like, okay, let's slice it back down to this week next week, three weeks. Right. So that's good because it fits. We're like, yeah, okay. This is great. (laughs) Let's start with this and then we'll build on it. Yeah. And here's the thing, honestly, often when I've had clients who are like, yeah, I'm not so sure about, you know, being okay with this part later on. I'm like, okay, we will look at it. We can't look at everything at the same time, right? We can't look at everything from the get-go. How about we park that to the side just temporarily? Let's do this one thing that you actually want to do. And then we'll check in again about that other thing. And so many times, so, so many times, we do the work, the client does all the hard stuff. Then we get a bit further and then like, you know what? Actually, it's fine. Right. And then you collect the good stuff. You collect the wins. You collect the amazing moments in life. And you're like, actually, I want a little bit more. Right. Once you start tasting the goodness that can come out of it, I've seen it happen over and over again where that goalpost, that limit, the no, I can't believe I will be okay when I get there. Suddenly they're okay and we're there and they're pushing the goal further. And I'm like, see? Yeah. I (laughs) love it. I can see a client have some sort of change in their life and they're like, they become really motivated by that one little change. So for instance, I had a client who was eating more and she could suddenly sleep through the night. And that was her turning point. She was like, I'm in, I'm so going all the way now because I'm sleeping (laughs) well. (laughs) And like, all you need sometimes is a little taste of what that end could look like. And it motivates you. So I know we're coming up towards the end of time. And I wanted to ask you one more question. I'm good. Okay. My last question is, 
when you were going through recovery, actually, I kind of might have like two questions, but when you were going through recovery, how did you know, like you were fully recovered? When did you wake up and you're like, Oh, that's no longer me. Like I'm, Oh, well, I'll received a letter in the post, obviously. (laughs) She's like, here's your (laughs) diploma. You're recovered. Just kidding. That did not happen. So I kind of have to loop back to the fact that I did not know this was a thing. Right. So it mostly just happened. And so when people ask me, how will I know? How will I know that this is happening right now? I often say, you will end up observing that you're not using a certain behavior for a while or that wearing a certain type of clothes doesn't bother you as much or doesn't require you fixing your body or an event coming up doesn't become the condition for you to do something about how you look like or something that used to be a trigger, a stressful situation, a sort of event that used to maybe be the source of difficult emotions isn't coped or avoided by using behaviors and rather you're using the other tools. And then time passes and you start collecting these moments and these time of, I haven't even thought of using this or I had this thought and it was harsh and mean, but I didn't even consider using a behavior to sort of respond to it. That's where the being recovered is happening, right? And I can't say I noticed. (laughs) That would be a bit too strong of a word because I didn't look at the arrival when I was in it. What did happen is that at some point I decided to study to become a coach and Carolyn Costin requires for people with lived experience to be recovered for at least two years. So I sort of had to look back and be like, okay, (laughs) let's look at a calendar (laughs) Let's look at where I'm comfortable to say I was good, definitely good by then sort of a thing. So Mm -hmm. it's more of a looking back exercise for me, but, but that's definitely what I was experiencing. Right. And that's why that period of my life where I can say like, oh yeah, I was recovered then is that is because, well, I wasn't using behaviors and in that, you know, time frame kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then at some point you're like, huh, wow. It's been like forever since I thought about fixing my body or using a behavior to fix something else. So, yeah, hopefully that makes somewhat sense. But because I'm in that weird situation where I wasn't expecting or waiting for this, like, you're recovered. Yeah, it sort of happened more organically. Thankfully, after my therapist kicked me in the butt and was like, you know, you're kind of screwing up this quasi recovery thing. Yeah, she didn't call it that way still. We were still saying like, can be better, right? Can be better. And she was like, yes, it can be better. (laughs) I was like, okay, let me do some more work. (laughs) So yeah, I totally relate to that because I still look back and I feel like I'll say I've been recovered for since I was like 21 to 23. Like it really depends on like, there's that range where you're so close and looking back, sometimes it's easier to define where you finally can say you were recovered. Definitely. And it's so funny because you will understand this, but I chose the summer that I went to Portugal at Valdemosas as the summer Mm -hmm. of being fully recovered (laughs) because so many things were happening that summer that I would have never, ever, ever 
allowed myself to do before then. Like spending money on myself, eating flexibly, just doing what I wanted, eating pastel de nata, da da da. And when we went back together, because we hosted our retreat there two months ago, I was like, yeah. Because we had our lovely, lovely humans being there still in recovery and some of them really nearing the end, right? We've got those few lovely gems of a human who are seeing the finish line. Let's put it that way. And I was like, yeah, it's nice to see sort of where they are and where I was at when they're in the exact same space. It was giving me like flashback moments and sort of I was being really reflective and it very much confirmed my estimate. And I was like, yeah, definitely recovered by that summer. And it was so lovely to share that place with them That's really for nice. that place to maybe be also a turning point for others. I love that. Sometimes I like to be very reflective in odd ways. <laughs> yeah. I think that's good. You can see a little bit of a mirror of your own experience mm-hmm. when you observe those who are at the retreat. So that's very special. All right. So I just remembered that you and I are starting a YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. So what would you like to say? What is your impression of our YouTube channels so far? And yeah, I'm just curious. What are your thoughts, experiences? What should the listeners know about it? So our YouTube channel has, for now at least, the intention of being a place where you and I chat about recovery stuff and mental health stuff in a very relaxed way. It's really a conversation between you and I, right? We sort of like throw ideas out there and we discuss things and we share more of our own sort of experience and also current things that are happening for us or skills and tools that we're using and whatnot. So it's sort of a mini talk show. (laughs) Yes, but it's like, it is like a mini talk show. The vibe is very different. It's not like me interviewing you or you interviewing no. me like so the format here is different whereas you and I I feel like we're just two silly gooses like giggling and talking about recovery and mental health yeah so we're having a very chill time we're laughing we're being serious when we want to need to <laughs> have to but it's very relaxed and we are hoping to get people's input about the topics that they would like to see being discussed, really, because we just started with some questions that had been submitted on Instagram. But if anyone is like, ooh, really interested and I want to watch, please do join us on YouTube. And please feel free to send us extra questions or topics. Please do. Please do. All right. So everyone stay tuned for that. And if you love Anne Claire and want to get more from her as far as guidance and wisdom in recovery. First of all, she's always inside the collective. So you can join the collective when doors open again. Also, Anne Claire, how can our listeners reach you today? They can find me on Instagram at path to recovered or on my website, www.pathtorecovered.com. Yay. Okay. Amazing. All right, Aunt Claire. Well, I'm going to let you go. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. And Thank I will you. see you soon. Thank you so much for having me. It was so great, as always. And I'll be talking to you soon enough. Okay. <laughs> see you later. Thank you. Thank you.